Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick, and we are back. And it's coyote season. I'm loving it, man. I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode here. Um, kicking off season three of Eastman's Predator Pros, man. I never thought that I had to have uh, this much to talk about when it comes to coyote hunting, but uh, <laughs> I guess here we are, you know, 50 episodes later, you know. So, uh, you know, I thought it'd be fun to do a, a Q&A with, uh, with you guys. Um, essentially got all the, the questions off of my Instagram page. I made a post. Um, so I'm going to go through and kind of pick a handful of, of questions and, and uh, answer those and hopefully give you guys something to think about. So should be a good one. But uh, before we get going, I need to thank the sponsors of this episode, which are Onyx Hunt and Swagger Bipods. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with Onyx Hunt. What can I say about it? Everybody's probably using it. Um, you know, huge tool of mine when it comes to killing coyotes, keeping track of all my stands, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stands in different properties. Um, you know, I keep it all right there. Landowner information. I can keep phone numbers in the notes section. I could track my routes. You know, a big thing, a, a little tool that I use on it a lot is the line distance tool. And, you know, there's multiple, you know, things you can use that for. But for me specifically, um, if I'm looking for distance between stands, um, I can shoot a line and say, oh, oh, I just made that stand. Okay, well, well, we've only went 600 yards. Ah, we need to go a little bit further. Uh, on a recent hunt, uh, we were sitting on stand and I heard some coyotes howl way off in the distance. And the terrain and access allowed me to go get closer to them to try to set up on them again. So I thought, you know what, I, I told myself, you know, they're probably a mile or a mile and a half away. It was hard to, hard to tell just due to the train. So what I did is I dropped a pin and I dropped, a, I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go in a thousand. I want to drive in a thousand yards closer and then make another setup. So I actually dropped a, a line distance from right where we were calling and, and, a, and I knew the direction you know, it was to the Northeast. So I drew a line to the Northeast and made it exactly a thousand yards. And, um, you know, then I drove up there and when I got to that end of that line on my, on my Onyx, I stopped and then went and found a stand. And sure enough, we got within the bubble of that coyote ended up killing one. So, um, just kind of cool little things you can do with it that are pretty sweet that we've never been able to do. So yeah, download it on your phone. Um, I see guys are putting them on their tablets, mounting them on their dashes. So they have big screens. You can use the 3d view, man, just unlimited applications you can use it for. So, um, you know, go to the app store, download Onyx hunts on your, uh, your phone and, uh, you'll be, you'll be killing it. Now, Swagger bipods been around, been part of, part of my game for a long time. Um, as a matter of fact, I just, uh, just put a, a bipod, one of the 142s in the veil camo, just had a new bolt gun that my boys are going to start shooting. I actually bought a, a six Creedmoor. Um, don't, don't be getting excited thinking I'm going to be shooting coyotes with it now because I'm probably not. I, I probably will shoot a coyote or two with it, but I needed to get, put a swipe. It's actually, I'm going to use it for a wolf gun up in Canada in the future. So I uh, needed something a little bit bigger. I can't take my AR up there. So, uh, that's what I have, but the boys, boys are going to shoot it. So I, I put 142 on there. This, this gun actually on the stock has an M lock, uh, slots in the stock so i just got the little m-lock adapter that uh, swagger sells on their website popped it in there hooked the bipod on man we're ready to roll so um i think my old my middle boy might actually shoot a kite with it tomorrow for the first time so 
so yeah but no if you're looking uh looking for uh you know a new bipod setup um you know i run the 142 um which just means the length of the leg goes out to 42 inches the 129s you know for me sitting on side hills and things like that they're just not quite long enough so that's why i go with 42s uh rick likes to go with the qds 42s you know they're the kind of the old school setup he likes to you know, pop them on off his gun and carry him. I, I want to be hands-free, man, because I got lots of coyotes to drag back to the truck. So um, I want everything attached to my gun, everything on me, you know. But if you're the type of guy that's kind of maybe old school shooting sticks and things like that, uh, the QDs are probably what, what you might like to go with. But, uh, you know, head on over to their website, which is swaggerbipods.com. As always, you can throw in the promo code coyotecraze25, and they'll give you 25% off. So, Check that out, but let's get to the episode. Well, let's jump right into it. But before we do, you know, my season has been going now for a couple of weeks. Uh, it's, it's been a great start. You know, October coyote hunting for me sometimes is, is hit and miss. Um, you know, in some parts of the country, sometimes even where I'm at, that I think there's just a lot of food sources still, um, you know, in this mid fall time period, first part of October that I, I think the coyotes sometimes just aren't super motivated yet to really come to the call. Like you're hoping they do, like you would expect these, you know, early fall season coyotes to come, you know, this, this past hunt, um, I was doing a guided hunt for a, an outfitter that I know, and we ended up killing 26 coyotes in four days. Uh, it was a cool hunt, you know, this this client of mine he's just turned 80 he's been coming out with me for the last three years this is fourth year and he brings his son and his good buddy from oklahoma and uh you know it, it's just a fun hunt you know he he's been coyote hunting a long time all of them have and uh you know but it uh it's a challenge because you know obviously you know i i hope i'm hunting coyotes when i'm 80 i hope my boys drag my ass around and dump me off and put coyotes in front of me and help carry my stuff you know and uh but that's really what we have to do. You know, the mobility, you know, is a factor that we had to figure in there. Um, you know, so luckily, you know, hunting kind of that sand hill area that we were hunting, you know, I'm able to drive the the truck to where I need to go and saves us a lot of walking, or at least, you know, him a lot of walking, which which makes it nice. But we're able to drive right into the stand. I can kind of dump them off. I can turn around and drive the, the truck back and hide it and then come back in. Um, so yeah, if you're ever wondering about walking, sneaking into stands, sometimes it's not, it's not that important, especially in that kind of country where there's lots of, lots of rolly up and down terrain, right? You're not looking out there, you know, six, 700 yards. So that's really what we do, you know? And then, you know, another little challenge is the mobility side of things. He just can't sit flat on the ground, like in a lucky duck predator seat or something that like I do. So he has to sit up in a chair. Well, you know, in this area, there's not a lot of vegetation. There's not you know, there's an occasional yucca, you know, more side hill stuff with, with grass than anything. So it's very tough to, to get four guys hidden at some, sometimes, you know, with that, you know, sometimes the sun's not right. The shadows aren't good. There's not a lot of stuff to hide by, um, you know, so I really had to utilize the, the remote range. I was using the revolt, uh, for this particular hunt, utilizing that re remote range. And, you know, some of these stands, I was getting the call, you know, 80, 90, even a hundred yards out away from us, just in hopes that the coyote would not turn and look up on the side hill, because if they did, they would obviously see us and it would be, you know, tough. So, um, we got busted a few of them, but man, I'll tell you, uh, you know, 
my 80 year old guy, he, he ended up killing coyotes every single day of the four day hunt, which was, which was awesome. Uh, made some great shots. We had obviously had a few get away that, uh, you know, they were kind of disappointed that they didn't get, but you know, 26 in four days, it was, it was fun. Always look forward to that hunt. Um, uh, but you know, coyote wise, we had a lot of coyotes that just, they came to the call, but they would get, you know, two, three, 400 yards and they'd get to a point where they wanted to see in that train. It's usually, they come to the top of a little hill and they just stand out there, sit down, you know, whether I was playing TNT or schoolyard brawl or SIG kicking ass or, you know, one of those other fights or, or even lucky pecker pray to stress sounds like that. It really, at that point, I would say probably 60, 70% of the coyotes we called in, I was having to switch to like uh, baby cottontail demise or, uh, lip squeaks to get them to finish closing that last two, 300 yards. So we had a, you know, reasonable hundred, 150 yard shot. Um, I think we only had maybe three coyotes, uh, that really just come flying in that you probably could, you know, would have been shotgun style coyotes, you know, but, but that is, you know, it was nice. It was got up to 70 one day. It was sixties. The other couple days, um, you know, we were hunting in hoodies and long sleeve t-shirts, um, which is typical this time of year, but, you know, some of the pups, a lot of the pups we were killing were, you know, probably in that mid 20 pound range already, but we did kill a few smaller ones. I don't know if they're just runs of the litter, potentially, you know, maybe a, a litter that came in a little late, but, uh, yeah, you know, all those different sizes, but, and then we obviously we killed, you know, some old, a few older coyotes too, but out of those 26 coyotes, I think if I can remember 18 of them, 18 or 19 were pups from this year, which is what you expect this time of year. Right. I mean, you're probably looking at 50 to 70% of the coyote population right now are these six month old coyote pups, you know? So uh, keep that in mind if you're out there hunting, it doesn't, you know, but as we progress here over the next few weeks, at some point, wherever you're hunting, they'll, they'll, there'll be a switch that'll turn on inside of these, these pup coyotes. And then these will be the coyotes that'll probably be running you over here, you know, sometime in the next couple, two, three, four weeks, if they're not already. So I'm um, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, I got a coyote class coming up this weekend, second one of the season, and they're calling for, I don't know, man, maybe a couple inches of snow one of the nights, highs in the the high 30s. So for the end of October, that's, that's pretty good. So hopefully these guys will be in for a treat, and uh, we'll have coyotes running for miles on every stand. It should be fun. So let's get into some some question and answer. Um, you know, if if you're listening to this podcast and you're not – and you're an Instagram person and you're not following me, that's where I'm getting all these questions from. I made a post on my page and said, Hey, you know, throw a question out there. I'll go through and pick a handful of them. You know, I had, I don't know, 30, 20 or 30 questions on there. So I'm not going to be able to get to all of them. I'm going to probably, you know, run through and pick, you know, six or seven here that uh, I can discuss in detail and hopefully, you know, answer that person's question, which in, in turn, hopefully, you know, gives you some insight as well. So, um, but yeah, if you're not following, um, yeah, jump on there, Instagram. I'll do, I'll do a handful of these throughout the season because, you know, although I like to, to, to have different guests on and talk about different topics, you know, when you post specific questions, then it lets me know exactly what you guys want to know and what, want me to talk about a little bit. So, so I like doing these and then also, man, we're kicking off third season of the last stand. So, or not the last stand, the sixth season, of the last stand, this is the third season of predator pros. So, um, you know. Obviously, I like to, you know, help you guys out for listening and uh, hopefully answer some of your questions. So 
So let's go. I'm pulling up my Instagram page here, and I'm just going to go through these questions here, and I'm going to start picking out some, and and um, we'll go through. Well, let's, let's talk about this one first. So the question is this. What do you do when you get into a calling slump? When the coyotes just haven't been working for most of the day or they haven't been responsive for a few weeks? How do you switch it up or what's something you do to combat that? So there's a few few pieces of this question I want to look at. So the first one, you know, and, and it's hard to get all the details on this. You know, I don't, you know, this is from Southeast Coyote. So I'm assuming he's from the Southeast part of the United States. Um, when he says when they haven't been working for most of the day or they haven't been responsive for a few weeks, to me, I look at that in a lot more detail than probably most people. And I'm thinking, okay, what, what does he mean by they haven't been working for most of the day? Does this mean he's been seeing coyotes and they just don't care? Like they sit out there and they just don't come any closer. Or does this, does this mean that he just isn't seeing any coyotes at all? Because to me, that's two different things or could be two different things. If you're seeing coyotes and you know, they're hearing the call and they're just not wanting to come to the call for whatever reason, to me, that's, you know, there's a lot of different factors there, but if you're just not seeing any coyotes at all, I think we all assume, or we all want to assume that they're just not responding to the call. When I get into those situations where I think where I'm not seeing any coyotes, I'm just like, man, there's no coyotes here to call. And if there are, there are very, very few of them. But I think it all boils back down to that not every coyote is callable. Okay. I think, I think some people don't understand that. They think that a coyote's a coyote. They're not. They're every coyote is their own coyote. And I really think that some coyotes are more aggressive, some coyotes are less aggressive. Um, you know, the area obviously is a huge aspect to that, you know, when it comes to how the coyotes are responding. Um, you know, we talk about educated coyotes a lot. You know, if you're hunting coyote coyotes that are quote unquote educated, you know, you're probably not going to get the responses that you had. So, so from a day perspective of not seeing coyotes, for me, it, it could be the place. There could just not be any coyotes there. It could also be the place that it, it's, you know, maybe has been overhunted to a sense. All right. Now, if you take a look at educated coyotes, okay, the best way I can explain this to you at least this is the way I look at it. And I could be completely wrong. A lot of this coyote hunting stuff is, is simply theory, right? We'll never be able to prove any of this stuff. But my theory, based off of all my experiences of hunting different areas, seeing coyotes, getting the intel from people that have hunted it, not hunted it, the ranchers, you name it, all that intel over 25 years. I look at educated coyotes this way. I do not think that if you call in a coyote one time and you shoot at it, you he wins you he sees the truck and runs off i do not think that one instance makes that coyote educated i think it is multiple instances over a short period of time that will make that coyote educated if if we're talking about educated coyotes now that can be pressure pressure is, is something that will do the same. And it doesn't necessarily have to be coyote hunting pressure. It could be pressure from deer hunters shooting at coyotes, just more, maybe more vehicle traffic in an area than the coyotes used to seeing in there. More people hiking around, walking around, the coyotes getting bumped and pushed more than they normally. I think those are all instances that affect a coyote. Now, 
let's just take a look at how how you train a dog. All right. That's the closest thing we have to compare coyotes to, right? Is your dog that you have sitting at your house right now. If you were wanting that dog to pee outside when he's a puppy, the very first time that dog pisses on your carpet and you slap it, beat it, put its nose in the pit, whatever you do to train that dog and throw it outside, do you think that dog will probably ever do that again? He probably will. It's going to take multiple times of you beating him doing that where he finally is trained or he finally learns or he is finally educated to that. Same way with a command. You can't tell a dog to sit for the very first time and then give him a treat and he's going to sit every time. It takes multiple repetition, right? I really feel like that coyotes are are similar to that when it comes to educating. And I think, and a problem with that is I think now we're talking about, you know, time between stands and how hard am I hunting these coyotes? So back to that question, you know, you look at that, they haven't been responsive for a few weeks. So now I look at that question. I'm like, okay, how often have you been out there hunting these coyotes in a few in a two week time period? I'm assuming that if he says these coyotes in a few weeks, he's been hunting the same areas and the same coyotes within the few weeks. And maybe I'm wrong, but if you're constantly going out to the same place over and over and over, trying to essentially hunt this same handful of coyotes over and over. Now we get into the part of repetitionally, you know, training, educating these coyotes. Okay. Hopefully that, hopefully you understand that, what, I'm, what, what that means, right? The more frequently you are hunting coyotes in an area, the faster those coyotes will learn, the faster those coyotes will become quote unquote educated. All right. Now I know you don't have control over a lot of that stuff. You may have permission to hunt a property. The farmer rancher may give other people permission um, you know, obviously the night hunting thing nowadays is changing the game where it used to be, you know, the coyotes would sit all summer and nobody was really messing with them. Now that has changed a lot in a lot of areas, especially, you know, states where you can thermal hunt year round. You know, I know there are a lot of guys that continually hunt coyotes throughout the summer, you know, in, in the evening and nights with their thermal. So that changes the game, right? So, you know, for me, so Back to your question, that's what I'm looking at. Okay, what do we really mean there? Um, but for me, if I'm hunting a property and, you know, I just, it seems like the coyotes, I can't find coyotes. If I'm not seeing any coyotes, then I'm probably, I'm going to probably hunt that area the rest of the day, that ranch. You know, usually in the areas where I'm hunting, we drive quite a ways. It's nothing for me to drive, you know, an hour and a half to two and a half hours one way to hunt for a day and then drive home. I'm not just driving 20 minutes outside of town, you know, I'm going deep where, you know, where I have access, um, where I know just, you know, stuff that's maybe off the beaten path. Um, so yeah, that's part of it now. So when I get to those areas, I'm kind of stuck, you know what I mean? Like I have to hunt if my next place is somewhere over there and I don't want to drive over there. So I just usually hunt that place for the day. If it's good or good, if it's not, it's not, um, but during the day, if I have access for more stands than what I can make in a day, then, then yeah, if I'm not killing coyotes in certain spots, certain areas, yeah, I'll make moves and I'll move to different areas of that ranch. Or even maybe if I'm hunting public land out West and I have access to millions of acres and I can go where I want, I will make small runs to get to different pockets and different areas. Um, you know, sound, sound sequences for me is not a big deal. Meaning I'm not, 
banging my head off the wall thinking, man, I'm just not playing the right sound. To me, it's not about that. I think I think 90% of the coyotes you call in, yeah, maybe not 90, but a lot. It probably does not matter what sound you play, honestly, on the call. You just, you had the right setup. You were within, you know, close proximity to that coyote, meaning three, four, five, 600 yards. You got in there without the coyote knowing you were there. And it just probably didn't matter what sound you played. That coyote was going to come investigate, you know? Um, so I, when I get into those situations, I don't bang my head off the wall thinking, oh man, I'm just not playing the right sound. Um, you know, I run through my same normal sound sequences that I always do, um, which I'll talk about. Cause I think there's a couple questions about that too. And I'll, I'll get into that, but, um, so yeah, I mean, there's really nothing to do. I, you know, you asked about, is there anything you can, you switch it up or something you come at that. It's probably more about a mindset than anything else. Having the mindset to realize that this is just coyote hunting, right? I wish we called in coyotes, every stand, every other stand. It's not the case. I mean. My personal record is 37 straight stands in a row without calling in a coyote. All right. I mean, that's a lot. And, you know, it could have been, you know, on the 38th stand, that coyote came running right in just like we had planned. You know, didn't do anything different than I'd done 37 stands prior to that. It's just for whatever reason, we'd finally got within that bubble of a coyote that wanted to come to the call. So for me, it's just keeping that mindset and saying, you know what, we're doing things right. We just got to keep grinding out. We got to cover ground. It's a numbers game ultimately. So we're just covering ground. We're trying to find the right coyote, understanding that not every coyote is going to be callable, unfortunately, but there are a lot of coyotes out there that are callable. And, and the name of the game is making stands, covering ground, you know, playing that variety of sounds throughout the, the call, you know, your stand throughout that call sequence um, to, to really, you know, trigger all those, those instincts in those coyotes. And as long as you're doing that, there's not much you can do other than just keep going, <laughs> just keep going. So I don't know if that really answered your question. I don't know if you're hoping I was going to give you some secret sound, um, <laughs> talk or something like that, but, but yeah, persistence, that's all you can do, you know, but hopefully the, the first part of that, when it comes to your properties and, and you understand that a little bit more that hopefully you're, you know, you're not going out to the same spots over and over and over again. Um, you know, because that's going to make it tough for sure. Well, let's, let's, oh, here's a, here's a, here's a fun one right here. Let's do this one. One daylight to dusk day of hunting. What's the most dogs? He says dogs. I hate using the word dog. So I'm going to use coyotes. You have piled in the truck. No nighter thermals, just daylight only dogs, daylight only coyotes. Um, you know, my, my one day record is 19 coyotes and a bobcat. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a phenomenal day down in Arizona. I was hunting with Dustin Patterson. who has been on the podcast before we were actually hunting, uh, the world championships. It was the last time that, uh, that the world was in Arizona kind of before it moved up and started changing the format and things a little bit, but um, you know, we had spent three or four days down scouting an area, you know, found a pile of coyotes, put together just a, a crazy good plan. Um, and for the most part, we executed the, the crazy part about that day is we, we got out there for our first stand of the morning and a thunderstorm, which in Arizona, that's, you know, in December, it's kind of like, wow, this is weird. A thunderstorm rolled through and it rained. Um, so we actually sat in the truck for about 30 minutes. We lost the first 30 minutes of the, of the day, um, 
to this thunderstorm. Well, finally, this, the storm cleared. We walked in to make that first stand. And Dustin actually walked down a little farther than I was anticipating. And when we hunted together, he would kind of sit down with at the call with a shotgun because that country was thicker, brushier kind of stuff, tall yellow grass, brush. And I would kind of position him at the e-call so he could clean up. He could mow everything down that came running into the call. Then I would kind of back off a little bit in certain stands and try to sit where I had visibility with the rifle to cover cover and be able to shoot those coyotes that did not coming bombing in right to the call well he walked down in there with call i don't know 100 yards in front of me almost and i kind of stayed up on this this side hill and at the time we weren't using communication radios or nothing like that and there was a group of three coyotes just on a dead run coming from hard left and what i didn't realize when when dustin sat down below me i didn't realize which direction he was facing you know, sitting next to that mesquite brush. Well, he was actually facing almost directly right. Well, these coyotes were coming from directly left. So I let the, they were all together racing. And that's like a dream. Like when they're all racing each other, call them like, this is the perfect scenario for a shotgun. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my God, these three are going to run right in there. And he's going to kill all three of them with a shotgun. And it's going to be the phenomenal start. Well, <laughs> I let these coyotes pass in front of me at about 125 yards. I probably could have stopped them and at least killed one. The, the brush and grass was a little thick, but I let them pass and they get right down to where I'm just any second. I'm anticipating to hear the shotgun start barking. And I see that one coyote just stop. And as soon as that coyote stopped, my heart kind of dropped. Cause I'm like, Oh shit. He, he doesn't see him or he's not set up right. Well, the coyote stood there for about two seconds and then they, all three of them spun and ran back the way they came. And I got one kind of half-assed shot at one of them running through the brush, didn't get it. And so we, we very first stand, we had a triple come running in and we didn't kill a single coyote. And, you know, we're, we were crazy bummed about it, you know, like, okay, but it's a good sign, you know, we're trying to stay positive. And then, you know, from that point on, we, we were in coyotes all day long. And, you know, at that point I, I shot, we had a pair of coyotes come in on my side. I killed the lead one. The second one rolled, rolled, you know, spun around to run off. I rolled it running into the tall grass and I thought I hit it pretty good. I, I had a split second to put another bullet in it. I decided, I thought, nah, I'm not going to shoot again because it was pretty early in the stand and I'd killed these, got these two coyotes in just two shots. So I didn't want to shoot again. And I should have, I, 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 the coyote wasn't dead. It was kind of moving and, and it got back up and made it into the grass and we never did find that coyote. But then after that, we got on a streak and we killed, we killed every coyote for the whole rest of the day that we called in at the very end of the day, uh, Dustin hit a coyote with the rifle that we didn't find. It made it back into the brush. Um, but other than that, so essentially, you know, we shot it, we put bullets in 21 coyotes that day. We'd shot at 20, counting the one running shot I shot at that triple that morning. So we essentially shot at 22 coyotes, put bullets in 21, and, you know, killed 19 of them. And, you know, the bobcat came in late in the day, and we actually let that bob. We're in a cut. Obviously, the bobcats don't count in a contest like that. So this bobcat sat out there at 20 yards for five minutes, and we were just calling and calling and calling, hoping that a coyote was going to come running in. But so finally, sitting there eight, seven, eight minutes, we finally said, okay, let's just shoot the bobcat. And Dustin shot it with a shotgun, but um, that was the last. At, we had 19 coyotes in the truck at that point, and we and we blanked on our last three stands of the day. So 
we legitimately had a chance at a 20 coyote day, which is pretty much unheard of. I personally think though the only place you could probably accomplish that now would be maybe Arizona, New Mexico, maybe, but Mex old Mexico is probably the only place that you could ever get a, a 20 coyote day at this point. But uh no, it was it was crazy. And then you probably heard the story. We we killed three more the next day. Um, you know, we had 22 coyotes, thought we had it wrapped up. And uh, we ended up getting beat by a twenty, a team with twenty three coyotes. So we got second place that year. But, but no, that was a crazy day. I've had a lot of eight, uh, not a lot. I've probably had four or five 18 coyote days. Uh, you know, sixteen coyote day on camera, uh, a handful of fifteen coyote days. Um, you know, those are far and few between. I might have one of those a season. You know, um, you know, along with a handful of ten plus coyote days, like I always talk about. But. No, that was one hell of a day. It'll probably be tough to ever, ever beat that. That's for sure. Let's scroll on down here. Let's see what we got here. So here, here's a decent, you know, this is an interesting question here. What is your approach when coyotes unexpectedly come from downwind and lock up? Do you make a long, possibly less confident shot or sneak out and try them from a different position? This means this seems to happen to me often when hunting new areas. So very rarely, if a coyote locks up straight downwind for me, that I don't see that a lot. If they get straight downwind and smell you, they usually run off. Um, but I do have coyotes that check up out there and just, just sit out there and, it could be for a variety of reasons. I, we'll never know. I mean, we all speculate, you know, oh, that's a, that's an educated coyote. That's the most common excuse. Um, I think sometimes coyotes are just lazy. They just are not motivated. And it could, I've seen this happen on ranches that I know for a fact nobody has called coyotes on and had coyotes sit out there at five, six, seven hundred yards and just look, you know. Um, you know, could be, they see the truck could be, they've seen something, you know, maybe they saw a glare off your scope. I don't know. You know, I've heard people talk about, they have this imaginary, their boundary, you know, they hit their boundary. I don't know about, I don't know if I'm a big believer in that. I'm, I'm not saying it, it's not the case. It could be, I just don't, I've never seen anything to really ever tell me that these coyotes have these boundaries that they'll check up on. Um, but not to say it couldn't be. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a multitude of different reasons why these coyotes check up, you know, when a coyote checks up, the only thing I've ever tried to do that I found that works is at that point, I'll start rolling through different sounds and on my lucky duck call, you know, it's, it's way easy to go through and, and maneuver sounds and change sounds on your SD card. Right. So I have a folder on my on my remote that's called hung up. And in this folder is every sound that I've ever got a coyote to break free, meaning a coyote was checked up, sat down, and I start rolling through sounds. What I mean by that is I'm, I'm picking a sound and I'm playing it for like maybe 15 seconds, 10 to 15 seconds, watching that coyote. No, he's just still sitting there. Okay, find the next sound, switch to the next sound. Nope, still just sitting there. Switch and I'm bouncing, you name it. I'm bouncing from pup distresses. I may throw some howls in there. I may go to some prey distress sounds, back to some coyote fights, pup distresses. I may throw in breed. I may just, I, I'm trying it all. It's basically throwing the kitchen sink at them over the years. I mean, in this, 
I would probably say more times than not, the coyote sits there. All right. And then either, either at that point you have to say, okay, do I want to dial him up and try a four five, 600 yard shot? Or do I want to sneak in closer? You know, maybe the train allows you to do that. Um, you know, whatever it may be, but sometimes the coyote on maybe your fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth sound that you've played over the last two, three minutes, all of a sudden the coyote just jumps up and here he comes, <laughs> you know? So that's whatever that sound was that happened during that particular coyote incident. I'll take that sound and put it into my hung up folder. So now I have, oh, there might be 15 sounds in my hung up folder now, right? So whenever that happens now, I just go to the hung up folder and I can just go right down the list. So boom, 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 boom. And they're all right there in the same folder, at least sounds that have worked in the past to other coyotes. Um, you know, it goes back to, I talk a lot about coyotes have an imaginary bubble around them, right? And the size of this bubble is really the distance they're willing to travel to the call. And this bubble is fluctuating minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, month by month. All right. It's just constantly, sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, and it's just constantly back and forth, right? Um, depends on a lot of factors, you know, time of day. Um, maybe some weather conditions, you know, what type of coyote that coyote is, you know, is it one of these aggressive coyotes, non-aggressive coyote, um, you know, lots of factors there. So over the years, I've, I've done this a lot too, where a coyote has checked up. I see it out there and I know the damn, you know, obviously they can hear the call. He's looking and I'll switch sound. He'll look back and they look away. And then a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll kill the call and sit there quiet for a couple minutes. The coyote will either, either lay down or they'll, which if they lay down, that tells me they were probably laying there the whole time and they just sat up out of their bed and they just decided, nah, I don't want to go that far. If they turn around and walk off, they probably came to a certain point where they could see, you know, came to a little top of a hill or in an opening. And then they just turn around and walk back into the, into the grass, into the brush over the little hill. At that point, and this has probably happened, I don't know, I've done this probably 15, 20 times over the over the last 20 years, is when that happens, I pack up my crap fast and I take off towards that coyote and I try to cut the distance in half and get within two, three, 400 yards of that coyote and I do a quick setup again. And every single time that I have done that, the coyote comes running into rabbit, essentially. You know? So why is that, right? Like, so why the coyote, I played every sound under the, under the book and that coyote didn't want to come 700 yards to the call. But as soon as I got within 300 yards of that coyote, you know, 10 minutes later, once I did another setup, he came running into just plain old rabbit, you know? So to me, that's, that's a theory of, you know, these coyotes, you know, some want to come running far, some don't. And so, you know, that's what, that's the only thing I've ever done when it comes to coyotes that check up out there, um, you know, if the train allows me to get in there, obviously if you stand up and start sneaking in and they see you, they're going to take off and then the game's over. You're wasting your time at that point. But if you can wait till they lay back down or they walk back into some brush, uh, walk over the hill or something like that, then, then you have a chance to, to get them killed. Um, you know, but, a good tool, you know, I, I hunt with a lot of guys that are that are set up to shoot coyotes at longer ranges, which is just another tool to have because 
it's part of the game. Coyotes check up out there. They sit out there. They not every coyote's going to come running the call. So if you are set up and can, you know, effectively kill coyotes at four, five, six hundred yards, more power to you. You know, I don't think we're back. You know, we go back to the educated coyote thing, right? If you're sitting there and that coyote, that coyote's out there five, six hundred yards, you know, not wanting to come to the call, I don't think you're going to do any damage by taking one shot at the coyote. You're not going to make that coyote smarter or more educated, at least in my opinion. So I'll, I'm going to say, okay, let's take the chance. Even though maybe I have a 30% chance of hitting that coyote, I'm taking it. I mean, I'm going to take it if I have a 1% chance of hitting that coyote, right? I'm like, you know what? I'm taking the shot. And I just, because to be honest with you, I don't I don't see that. Now, obviously, if, if, if you do that and then some guy the next week does it, and now soon that coyote's getting shot at every week, well... Now we're back to, you know, the consistency of training this coyote. He's probably, yeah, he's probably going to be educated. So, <laughs> but I, I don't pass up a shot. You know, if, if I look and say, I can't sneak in there, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. But, you know, what you probably need to look at sometimes too on that, if you're having that happen a lot, you might consider your setup, you know, doing something different with your setup. Maybe you're giving that coyote too much visibility. Um, you know, cause coyotes like to see if I can see that far, so can the coyote. So maybe get in there a little tighter, you know, maybe if you've made that stand multiple times and the coyote did the same thing both times, the next time say to yourself, okay, the coyote always wants to show up down there. I'm going to make my setup down there closer. So when he does the same thing, now I'm close, to, close enough to kill that coyote. And there's multiple things you can look at like that, you know? So, uh, you know, take a look at that and see, see if that helps. And, uh, you know, but yeah, don't be afraid to sneak in. Don't be afraid to shoot at him. I don't think you can go wrong either way. Um, let's see what's next here. <laughs> this is kind of a funny one. Are you and Randy Anderson rivals or buddies? <laughs> I don't really consider. No, you know, we're all coyote hunters. Um, I've talked to Randy Anderson on the phone a couple times. I don't wouldn't say I personally know him. Um, you know, obviously Rick knows him pretty well from our stories, you know, Rick and him have filmed some DVDs and things like that. You know, he's a fellow Nebraska guy. I like to say the best coyote killers on the TV come from, uh, from Nebraska, you know, between Randy Anderson, Les Johnson, um, they're all from Nebraska. So, um, but, uh, no, they're, <clears throat> you know, he's, uh, he's, he's done awesome, man. I, you know, he's made a living hunting coyotes, which is, is a dream probably of all of ours. Right. You know, if we could, we could hunt coyotes for a living and, and do this full time. I mean, that's so man props to him for being able to do that. I'm, just, I'm fairly certain at this point, that's probably what uh, he's been able to do. So, uh, but no, definitely not rivals, not buddies either. Um, you know, there are a few guys that uh, throughout there that, that put themselves out there that, that probably don't get along with me real great, but that's, that's part of how it is, you know, just got to do your own thing sometimes, but no, Randy Anderson is a good dude times i talked to him on the phone uh enjoyed visiting with him so and uh always love hearing rick has a lot of a lot of funny stories about when they used to hunt so it's always cool there um let's see here let's scroll down a little bit more here <clears throat> got a couple questions here on um the radio and communication setups so i'm going to talk about that a little bit um you know, if you follow my Instagram, I'm always doing Instagram stories. And a lot of people always see my earpiece coming out, uh, you know, down, 
down to my mic and are always asking about it. You know, I've experimented with radios quite a bit over the last three or four years. And I, I used them early on, maybe 15, 18 years ago. And then I kind of got away with them, got away from them for a while, just because it was a big pain. I never found anything that really worked great. And then over the last six or eight years, as I got, you know, started doing more coyote schools and, and a few guided hunts and hunting with all these different guys, um, I really needed a way to communicate with everybody on stand so I could kind of dictate the stand a little bit better, have control of the stand a little bit better, you know, talk things through as a coyote's coming in, I can get on the microphone and I can talk them through it. Say, okay, whoa, don't move. Be patient. Next time the coyote stops, let's shoot it. You know, all the stuff that we can communicate with through on these radios, um, just help us be more efficient, uh, on stand. Now, um, right now I'm running up just some Midland. I think they're GTX radios. They're about, I don't know, 80 bucks a piece. If you read the box, they say they have a 35 mile range. Yeah. If you were standing on one mountaintop and somebody else was on a mountaintop 35 miles away and you had a clear line of sight, I'm sure they probably work. But the one thing I found out using two way radios is, is if you do not have line of sight, whether you're a hundred yards, sometimes less 50 yards, if you're around a side hill or something like that, you cannot expect to have very good communication. And that's just the name of the game. As a matter of fact, I even went down to, we have a Motorola uh, store here in town. You know, they hook up, they sell, you know, they, they rig up all the, the police cars with their radios and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go down and talk to this guy because, you know, if I, if I have to spend $500 a radio, you know, high end, I'm talking high end Motorola radio. If it would help that I'm going to, I'm going to spend the money and do it. Well, I got to talking to this guy and he said, even the most expensive handheld radios like that, um, unless you have like a three foot tall antenna, you know, that'll help do that. If you don't have line of sight, you're, you're still not, you know, going to get the communication you want. He said, that's why the police cars and everything goes off repeaters. You know, they have repeaters set up around town, usually high up on water towers or cell phone towers or something like that to helps send their signal all over, you know, the County or city or wherever they're at. So, so ultimately I'm like, okay, that's kind of disappointing. And I really didn't want to have a three foot tall antenna sticking out of the back of my pocket while I'm on stand. So I said, Oh, well, we'll just make you so, the higher up on your body, you can get the radio, the better, because that's going to get your little antenna. So, you know, putting it in your pants pocket is not always the best because then it's going to put it right on the ground. If you can mount it on like the opposite shoulder that you shoot with, then the antenna's up higher. That that helps quite a bit, um, you know. And so the next part of that is the earpieces um, and the little mics. I just bought some aftermarket. They're made for the Midlands. And it, uh, it essentially has a little coiled, little clear tube that goes up to your ear. And then I bought some molded silicone earpieces and they come in three different sizes, small, medium, large to fit your size of your ear opening inside your ear. And, you know, I hooked these in there, put them in, I put them in my non, the side of my head. That's, I don't shoulder my rifle on. And then down the cord, it has a little microphone that with a little clip on it. And I just clip that right up underneath my, my chin on my, usually on my hoodie, um, you know, kind of where the drawstrings are on my hoodie or my coat. 
And then all I have to do then is reach up and there's a little push button on the side of that mic. I just push and hold the button in. And then obviously the closer you get your mouth to that mic, the more clear it is. Um, you can't push the mic and hold your face a foot away from it. It's not going to really pick up, but you can whisper, you know, if you're whispering right into it, you know, saying, Hey, we got a guy out right here. You know, you'll hear it clear as day in, in your, uh, your earpiece. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're using now. And these are all have, you know, rechargeable battery. The, the battery life will last a full day of coyote hunting. Then I'll throw them on the charger that night. Um, yeah, for me at this point, that's the best I've found. Um, and the most convenient, you know, the cords, then I just tuck all the cords down underneath my coat or underneath my hoodie. So I don't have cords hanging all over my body, getting tangled, you know, on my rifle and, and everything else. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it works great. Is it a, is it a fix all? No, because sometimes if I send a downwind guy clear around the hill, I, I can't hear him. But as long as we have somewhat of a line of sight, I'll tell you, it saves coyotes. Even, you know, just this last trip I just talked about here, um, there were probably three or four coyotes that came in on the downwind half of the stand that, you know, he was able to alert us of. And these coyotes either checked up or start, and he would say, hey, and he would tell me what the coyote was doing. And then I was able to switch up the sound, even though I couldn't see the coyote. I'm just getting a play-by-play from him. And then we were able to bring that coyote back on track and able to get that coyote killed. Um, you know, so definitely a huge advantage when you're able to do something like that, you know. So uh, experiment a little bit. You might have to find some different radios that that fit for you. Uh, I have a, a buddy of mine, Joe. He actually started using a headset, like a almost like a headset that I'm wearing here for the the podcast with a, with a mic that comes down, you know, almost like if you're flying a helicopter or something like that, you know, the mic that comes in your mouth. And he was wearing a set of those when we go coyote hunting and he can program it to the same channel as my radios. And then he would use that. Um, Cause then he could just push a button and he could, well, maybe it might've been voice activated and he'd start talking, but then obviously he could hear everything too. So there's a lot of little options like, you know, different options like that too. So, you know, just to, run through to figure out what works for you. But bottom line, communication is, is huge when you're out there, especially if you're scattered out, spread out a little bit. Um, even use them at night, I think would be a huge advantage. Even if you're standing 10 feet from each other and you're trying to whisper and you got the call out there, wah, wah, you know, blurring and you can't hear each other. You know, if you had a little radio and you just reach up, whisper into it, everybody, you know, it's clear as day, you know, exactly what everybody's saying. I think it could be a, a huge tool for you. All right. Let me do a couple more here. Let's see here. Let's see. Let's see which couple here I want to do for the rest of here. Talk about, you know, a lot of guys are, you know, into thermal, getting into thermal. Uh, this question was, what's your night thermal go-to? You know, I've been around, I, you know, I don't consider myself an expert in thermal by any stretch. Um, you know, I probably thermal hunt maybe 10% of, of the time I spend hunting coyotes is done with the thermal. The rest is all 100% daytime hunting. Um, you know, I've, I've owned a Trigicon. I've owned a Full Moon Optics. I've owned some Pulsars. Um, Pulsar is now a sponsor of the last stand. So I've got a chance to use even more and more of their stuff. And 
I, I really love the Pulsar stuff, man. I, as a matter of fact, I just sold my Trijicon and bought a pair of the, uh, the Pulsar merger, uh, XP 50 LRF binoculars. You know, Rick has a pair, uh, and I just, I mean, looking through a pair of binoculars at night for me was just night and day compared to a monocular scanner. Um, you know, so that was a big part of it. Um, the scopes, I, you know, I was super impressed. I was shooting that XP 50 LRF scope, that Thermion 2 scope last year. Uh, I actually just got a Thermion 2 XG 50, which I liked a little bit more because it has a base 3X magnification instead of the base 2X magnification, which the XP has. So me as a daytime shooter that's running my scope on 11 power all the time, you know, I, I want more magnification. Uh, so that three is going to give me a little bit anyway, not a lot, but, um, but, you know, to me, I just, I like having everything the same, you know, I had having three different thermals, they all run off three different types of batteries that, you know what I'm saying? It was just, it was a lot and I don't do it a lot. You know, if you're the type of guy that thermal hunts all the time, you know, to me, that's the difference. That's the difference between daytime hunting and nighttime hunting. Nighttime hunting is significantly based off of skill in setups, skill in, you know, how you're getting into your properties, you know, skill in, uh, you know, getting coyotes kind of, you know, I don't know, more coyote hunting skill-based. Night hunting is significantly based off your skill set on your equipment, how proficient you are with your equipment. Because let's face it, the night setups, you're not, you're not having to worry about, although you are a little bit, but you know, you're making setups at night where there's no way you'd probably ever make that same setup during the day. Um, you know, you're some guys, you know, on the right moon night, you're calling right from the truck, you know, right from the road, you know, not nothing you can do from the daytime. So to me, the advantage in night hunting is being very, very familiar with your equipment. The better are you, the better you are shooting that thermal, the more coyotes you're going to kill. Not because necessarily you're more technically better at calling coyotes. If that makes sense. I think that's probably why a lot of guys enjoy thermal hunting. One of the, one of the many reasons is because you can kill more coyotes with less experience killing coyotes. I mean, it's bottom line. Um, you know, but you have to be real familiar with your equipment. Um, you know, shooting those, you know, two power scopes, three power scopes, understanding where your drops are, you know, being able to just seek, you know, it's just the equipment. It's, it's tough. And if you don't do it a lot, um, like I don't, I don't do it a lot. So I wanted thing, I wanted everything to be the same and not have to learn three different types of thermal equipment, just one. And that's what I liked about the pulsar. The buttons are simple on it. It's got like three buttons. It's got a power button, a record button, uh, with the LRF button and a zoom button. And that's it. It's like, okay, this is pretty simple. The batteries, you know, are very simple. It's like, okay, here's your battery. It's got an internal battery at two. I can, drop that in my charger and I know I'm good to go all night, you know, on a full charge. So I don't have to worry about that. And this new Thermion 2, you know, that XG50 and the XP50 look like a normal daytime hunting scope, which I kind of like a lot too, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I think for me, you know, it's all about keeping it consistent, you know. Now, you know, the, the game's changing a little bit. I, I, I've always liked having a, you know, a designated scope on my rifle and then some sort of spotter. You know, obviously you're talking more money, you know, you drop four five, six grand on a scope. Then you drop another, you know, who knows you could, you know, you can get decent spotters now for two or $3,000. Um, but 
you know, it's just, it's a lot of money to spend. You know, some guys just only have the money to buy a scope. So you're sitting there scanning left and right, left and right on your tripod or, you know, holding your gun up or whatever you're doing, you know, as you're looking for coyotes, you know, which is just a little bit more of an inconvenience, but it's doable. So, but for me, I think, you know, my go-to is some sort of spotter, which now is going to be those Pulsar merger binoculars. I actually got a, a pair of, of the new XL 50s as well. I think they're like, I haven't, they just showed up today in the mail, actually. Um, we'll be filming last stand episodes with them um, coming up. So, but it's, it's that, I think it's 1080 resolution, maybe more than that, but it's, so it's, so it's going to be a lot better, especially when you double, you know, when you zoom in one time, you know, then you're not going to lose as much resolution as you do with like a 640 um, is the way it was explained to me. But like I said, I'm not, I'm not an expert by any, but that's my go-to man. Pulsar. I, I just, I really like what they have. The price point seems really good for what you get. Um, and after, you know, looking through, uh, Rick's Envision, looking through my Trigicon, now looking through this Pulsar stuff, man, I, it, it's all great. It's all really, really good. But to say one's that much better than the other and worth two or 3000 more, eh, I, I didn't think so, but, but, uh, you know, but yeah, be looking for the last stand when, when we film those last stand episodes coming up in Kansas, you know, we'll label everything. When we show an image, it'll have what that was. Was that the Thermion 2 XP 50 scope? Or was that the merger, you know, XL 50 binos? Was that the merger XP 50 binos? Was that the Axion 2, you know, spotter? You know, we'll we'll label all that. So then you guys can see a variety of different images um, throughout there. And we'll have a different color palettes and we'll have one set up on white hot, one set up on black hot. We might uh, do, you know, the red hot or the, the rainbow or, or whatever it is, you know, so you guys can see just all the, the variations that are, that are out there. All right, let's look for one more question here. Let's see. Let's, I'm going to answer this one. You know, I don't have a lot of experience with this, but I'm going to, I'm going to try my best with it. How do you change your approach if at all? When you're hunting somewhere with more timber or cover and less wide open spaces, such as Wisconsin. Okay. Well, I've never hunted in Wisconsin. Um, I've had multiple guys from Wisconsin come to my coyote school. So the cool part about it when I do a coyote school is I get to listen to their experiences, which in turn become my experiences, if that makes sense. Right. Um, they're able to tell me about the terrain, how they've hunted it in the past, what's worked, what's not worked. Um, and then use some of my, you know, thought process and knowledge and, and kind of give them feedback on that. And then down the road, get feedback back from them. Once they go back and try things, you know, I think, I think there's a big misconception out there, especially with newer coyote hunters that you have to find this big wide open spot. And that also goes back to the night hunting thing. Why, why are so many more guys more successful at night? Because it's super, because you're finding like these big wide open spots and coyotes at night in a lot of areas of the country won't come across those, those open fields during the day because they don't have to, there's, there's all kinds of cover and tree lines and stuff. You know, they just don't cover that open ground during the day. So, but at night they do because they, they feel like they're secure under the cover of darkness, I guess. Maybe it's just because there's less traffic, you know, driving up and down the, the county roads and things like that. And they just are more comfortable coming out in the open at that point, which makes them easier to kill with the thermal, right? Um, but for me, I'd like getting in the cover. Sometimes on stands, I specifically set up to limit my visibility 
um, on a stand, which is in along the same lines of setting up on wide open spaces, setting up a timber. Now, I think there's different types of timber, right? Are we talking, you know, cedar trees? You know, I've, I've been in northern Arizona where it's juniper trees, right? And, you know, you have all the it's thick enough trees where you have little pockets, 30, 40 yard openings. You might be, have, have a, you might have a hundred yard runway opening that goes down over this way, but so you catch little glimpses of the coyotes running through there. All right. You know, you get up into like Wisconsin and some of these other States where it's big, hard timber, you got tree trunks, you know, every several feet, every six or eight feet scattered through there with other brush and grass, you know, you have pockets of visibility here and there. You know, I've been out in Wyoming where the sagebrush and Oregon and Nevada, where the sagebrush is so tall, you can't see a coyote coming in, but you're setting up in pockets, little openings to where these coyotes are going to have to come into those openings. Um, I've been out in Arizona where the grass and the mosquito is so tall, you're setting up an opening. It's not tall trees, right? So it's, it's all about visibility and cover. I don't necessarily know if it really matters what the cover is, whether it's tall hardwoods or yellow grass and mesquites or sagebrush or juniper trees, you know, it covers cover. Um, I like to get in on the cover. I think that's where the coyotes are going to be for the most part um, is in that cover, especially during the daytime hours when you're hunting coyotes. Cause the majority of the day coyotes are, are probably laid up. They're bedded up and they're going to find that those type of secluded covered areas to bed up in. So getting in there tight is the answer sometimes, but it's not, but I think the problem is a lot of guys are super uncomfortable getting in there in those types of setups because they can't see more than 40, 50, 60 yards. And they're like, dang, I, you know, I don't know if I want to do this or not. You know, some of that hardwood stuff guys, you know, you get echo off the, off the e-call. So I think that freaks out a lot of guys. I don't, when I've been in situations with echo, whether it's a Canyon, whether it's echoing off of trees, I don't worry about it. I, because you have to understand the way sound travels and just because you're hearing an echo and you're sitting behind the call 30 yards, does that mean it's echoing if you're out there 300 yards out in front of the call? Maybe not necessarily, all right? So just what you, just because you're hearing it sitting behind the call doesn't mean the coyote that's out there four or 500 yards is hearing things the same exact way. Next time you're out, just go try this. If you're, if you're worried about the, the call echoing in the timber, just set your call up and turn it on and walk back in deep into the woods 300 yards 400 yards, 500 yards, and see what it sounds like. You'd probably be amazed. You'd probably be shocked, actually, actually, of what, you know, what the sound does into that cover, you know. That kind of cover eats up sound, so your sound's not going to penetrate it as far. So if you decide not to use as much volume because you're worried about the echo, your sound's not cutting back in there as far as you probably want it to. So keep that in mind. But but understand, don't be, don't be afraid to get in and, and hunt the cover. I mean that's where the coyotes are going to be. You have to understand the setups are going to be a little bit different. You know, some of these setups are going to be kind of shotgun style set stands, right? Like it's going to be a legitimate tool you're going to need to probably get coyotes killed because you know, you're not, you're not going to see the coyotes coming from a long ways. They're going to be there and they're going to be gone pretty quick. Um, there's going to be the potential that they're going to see you about the same time you see them and they're going to be within shotgun range already. So you want something that's fast where you have to worry about getting them in a scope. Um, but, uh, yeah, don't be afraid to get down in the cover. One of these times I am going to make it to Wisconsin. That's the headquarters for Lucky Duck. Uh, I'm going to be up there at some point, and I'm going to I'm gonna try calling some coyotes up there. Just to add it to the, the list of states that I've 
you know, been able to kill coyotes on too. But uh, yeah, get in the cover, man. I there's there's nothing wrong with that. Don't worry about the echo. Um, test test out your echo with your e call, whatever you're using. And uh, yeah, you might be surprised. Well, I think that about covers. If I didn't, if you're listening to this and I didn't get to your your question, I apologize. I'll do this again and uh, keep asking the questions. And and eventually, if I if I didn't get it this time, I'll get it one of these times, hopefully. But I appreciate everybody tuning in for another episode here of Eastman's Predator Pros. Um, I'm super pumped, man. The seasons are changing. I'm just, you know, two weeks into my four-month coyote season, so I'm pumped. We've had a great start already. Um, lots, lots of great hunts to come. Um, the Last Stand se- Season 6 is up and going on the, the Lucky Duck YouTube channel. So I think Episode 3 actually drops today. Um, so that, that's a fun one. You get to watch, a, I don't know. I think Dylan is 12, 11 or 12 years old. Shoot a coyote with a 10 gauge, um, which was pretty, pretty fun. That was a fun hunt that happened last February. Um, but, uh, but yeah, keep those going. Those will be coming out every, every week or every about three a month, three episodes a month will be coming out all the way through February. So, uh, you know, those will come out on Wednesdays is when the, the release date days are on those. So keep look forward. we got some great hunts coming up that we're going to be filming, heading to Colorado next, but, uh, but yeah, want to thank you guys, obviously for, for always listening. The feedback you guys give me is great. Um, you can visit my website, which is coyotecraze.com. That'll give you links to my social media. That'll give you uh, links to, to more material, more, uh, information, you know, articles and things that I've written over the years on there. Um, it'll have information about the coyote schools I put on. Obviously, unfortunately, everything's booked up for this season. Um, but there's a newsletter section on there. You can subscribe to that newsletter. And then if I'm putting out merch, you know, I got some coyotes fear me stuff, some death dealer merch, stuff like that, that, that I, you know, post the store open, you know, a couple times a season. If you're interested in something like that, I'll send out newsletters when I do release dates for upcoming uh, class dates next season. I'll send that out to everybody on that, that newsletter. Um, you know, I can't say much about it yet, but, uh, you know, lucky duck and I are working on, you know, a big, you know, massive uh, dump of call it coyote hunting knowledge on a website, you know, to say the least. Um, but that'll be coming out uh, at some point. So, you know, I'll be putting stuff out on that as well. So be looking for all that. Lots of stuff coming down the chute. That's going to be cool that you're not going to want to miss out on. So, but also before I go, got to thank the sponsors. Can't do without them. Six Sour Optics, Swagger Bipods, Hornady, Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Silencer Central, Cryptech, Juniper Mountain Coffee, Onyx Hunt, and of course, the dudes over at Eastman's for bringing this all to you guys. Couldn't do it without them. So uh, head over to uh, Eastman's.com to check out uh, all they got going on with Tag Hub and their magazine subscriptions and, and things like that. So once again, appreciate you guys following along, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast.